in conversion optimization, traditionally the way it's seen is that the metric we care about is our conversion rate. How many people can we get in the door? Whereas you're building a long-term sustainable business, looking at this short-term metric is not good enough. You need to look at the whole thing, the impact on the brand. You need to look at the lifetime value. And so knowing that this is the world we live in where retention is everything and your brand is your biggest moat. Now, how do we optimize our website? Welcome to episode 11 of season 9 of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life that they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a brand new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice. If you've heard the show before, why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes or drop us a comment in Breaker or CastBox. That is going to allow other people just like yourself to find the show. This season is titled Building a Better and More Profitable Business. And it's all about leveling up to create that sustainability and that profitability in our business. Especially in this COVID and soon to be post-COVID time, I think it's so important to be able to learn from one another in any way that we can. Today's co-host is Pep Laya. Pep is the founder of Winter, CXL, and Spiro. Pep is a straight shooter and an expert in conversion optimization, but it was such a pleasure to have him come on the show and really dive deep here with us on these sometimes intangible aspects of business. We dive into how to prioritize what to focus on and when to chase something else. We also talk about how not to put your clients into a defensive position by voicing their flaws while positioning you as the person that they want to work with and how to stand out from the noise through differentiation. There's a bonus episode of this chat available inside a Feast Club where Pep shares how to do outbound sales and cold email that just does not suck. Check out feastclub.co for more information. You can find out all about Pep and how to win on messaging at winter.com. That's winter with a Y. And reach out to him on Twitter at Pep Lion. Now, let's get into the show. Are you feeling like you're in a silo all by yourself with no one to bounce ideas off of? Are you looking to get predictable revenue into your service-based business? Do you want better clients who respect you? Well, gain the support from like-minded developers, designers, and other creative professionals providing client services inside a Feast Club. Forget those stale articles from 2008 giving you advice on how to run your business. It's 2021. Join Feast Club today and get access to a community, including myself, where we share what we're working on in real time, strategies and resources that work in today's market, and ideas and support for one another in a safe place. You'll get access to a private podcast, which has bonus episodes from some of the guests in this season that you can only get inside a Feast Club. You'll also get access to a monthly one-hour virtual meetup, a private Slack and Circle community, member-only content library, 
access to message yours truly directly. Also, you're going to get exclusive expert workshops from folks like Kaylee Moore on pricing, Robin Kennedy on email, and Nick Gulig on sales, and so many more. There is no better time than right now to learn from those a few steps ahead of you and leverage your skills to help and support others to grow all of our businesses together. So if you want to check it out and join a community that's built on the saying, a rising tide raises all boats, head on over to feastclub.co today. I hope to see you on the inside of the club. Now, let's get back to the show. Hey, Feasters. Welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I am super excited to have Pep here. Welcome, Pep. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. (laughs) So, as I said before we, we press record, I've been following you since 2014 through Conversion XL, now CXL, various other transitions, I guess, if you want to call it in your career. But one of the biggest things I know for me and for you as well, the biggest transition was probably having kids, right? Oh, well, in my life, for sure. Yes. I mean, my oldest is 10. So I've kind of forgotten what it's like to not have kids. (laughs) (laughs) When I started CXL or Conversion Excel back then, I already had a baby. So so all my uh, these ventures have been, you know, me as a parent. Yeah. My oldest is four and I have a one and a half year old. And so I'm in the weeds. (laughs) I guess you could say. But one of the things that I, and and I'm interested to hear your take on this. When both of my sons were born, I thought I was focused before, right? Like I've reduced the noise, reduced the distraction. And I I thought I was pretty focused. But when they were born, I became like hyper-focused. Definitely. It's like you don't have all day anymore. Like if, if it's just you, then you can do, you know, like take a sweet time. You can work late if you want to. But if you have kids, you know, you got to have working hours. It's, it's, it's a great discipline. So I personally, I wake up at five every day and get to work at six and finish my day at 2 p.m. So and I play with my kids rest of the, the day, pick them up from school, etc. So I need to get everything done by 2 p.m. every day. You know, I need to do stuff that matters and really also question what are the things I am doing today? Are they actually, you know, moving the needle sufficiently or am I just chasing the whirlwind? So how do you, because I do something similar, right? I have split days. I wake up at five before my, my sons get up and go to preschool and stuff like that. But I essentially start my day at like 5.30, 5.45 and I work till about 11-ish. You know, I pick my son up at preschool. My wife does her business works. And then I come back and I work about one to about three-ish, 3.30. How do you prioritize the things that are actually moving the needle versus, hey, maybe this is just a distraction? So I have a team. So I'm involved with three organizations and all in all, we're like 66 people. So not huge, but also it's not just me. So one thing I always have is that if there's somebody waiting on me, like somebody can't do what they're doing because I haven't, you know, given feedback or whatever, whatever, supplied them with something. So I do that. So I'm, I'm enabling other people because a lot of the things that I, I do and achieve is through other people. 
So at CXL these days, I'm very hands-on. I'm very little. You know, I have a strong management team. I have a head of operations. I have a VP product, head of marketing, and so on. So I I am not doing anything that uh, let's say technical anymore these days. So while as I, at winter, I, I do everything. I mean, I write the newsletter and I'm on live chat, and you know, it's a, it's a small early stage startup there. So so while, while at, at CXL, I prioritize systems and people. At winter, I prioritize gifts of keep on giving, so long-term things. So anything that is building my audience, anything that is building my brand, anything that is not about the immediate thing, so SEO, content, things like that in terms of marketing. Or I read this book last year that really changed my life. It's called Who Not How. So instead of asking, how can I do this? You ask, who can do this for me? Or who can help me do this? And so also in a lot of ways, I am setting up systems where I can create, set something up that is just keeps on going, like a flywheel type of thing. And I, am, I don't have to be involved or I'm, my involvement is minimal. I'm going to have to check that book out. <laughs> uh, because for me, I've always wanted to be a solopreneur. In the corporate world, I manage teams of developers, upwards of 35. When I started my own business 10 years ago, it wasn't something that I want to dive into. But now... I want to be away from the screen. I want to spend time with the family. I want to grow the business. And I realize that I can't do all of those things myself, right? So I'm going to have to grab that book. If you, yeah, if all the things rely on you to spend time, you're a big, big bottleneck for all the things. So the transition from or it's not really a transition, but when you decided to start up winter, was it something that you said, hey, look, I think CSL is is okay in this spot. I'm here if they need me, but maybe I go chase this thing for now. What was the motivation for winter? I think there are three things happening. Uh, one is that I stumbled upon a big, massive problem. It's like a big market opportunity. Uh, a big problem I can solve. And I am very proactive, very entrepreneurial. And I was like, this is just too good to be true that I need to do this. Uh, and it's it's kind of a hedging, hedging bet. So like dual focus is very dangerous. And so you can't do like my company now does two things. That, that will be the end of your company. The fact that CXL was at a very good spot uh, enabled me to also get this other venture going. A lot of people start the agencies thinking that, oh, yeah, one day I'll add a SaaS business or, you know, other scalable type of business. But they never get around to it, actually, because, you know, you know very well in agency life, your days are full of whirlwind that your clients want stuff and there's deadlines and, you know, all, all these things are happening. So in order to do something else, you need a dedicated team for your new initiative. And it's best that the dedicated team is actually the founder, somebody with authority somebody who is uh, proactive and not waiting to be told what to do, but is like proactively going after it and is really well suited to my personality. And so for CXL, I just brought in head of operations to offload some of my tasks away to somebody else so I could dedicate more time to winter. And also on a very personal level, I have a failed SaaS company in my past. And so I've been itching to have another goal at building a SaaS company. And I think 
I heard you say this in a podcast. I've seen it on tweets, especially. And this is why I like what winter is about. It's not just that there's, hey, there's a landing page with copy on it that is designed to get that person to take that action, whether it's an email, whether it's a purchase, whatever it's the thing, the squeeze page to get them to opt in anymore. It's this all-encompassing brand that you kind of have to have this message, this clear, hey, this is what we're about kind of thing. Can you describe how you saw a little bit, I mean, CXL, obviously very data-driven, the agency too. When did you start to see this need that in the marketplace, people had to open their blinders up a little bit and see bigger picture? For me, it started with, you know, from CXL. So CXL is an e-learning company and we have 60 plus online courses and a bunch of landing pages and very copy heavy. All those pages are very copy heavy. So a direct response copy, trying to, you know, get people to convert and sign up. Copy is the number one factor for converting customers, converting visitors into, into customers. And so it's like in sales, you know, if, if, if it's in-person sales, I'm selling my agency services to you. I can see how you're reacting to what I'm saying. And I can adjust what I say and how I say and do, like, do more of this and less of that based on how you react. If I lead with my key argument, then I see it, you don't give a shit about this. I will stop talking about it and I will talk about something else, right? So on, on your website, you don't have that. So you just have that sales pitch and whatever you wrote, that's how it's going to be. There's no way to get feedback. And it is crazy that the most impactful part of the conversion equation, copy, messaging, is something that for the most part is completely opinion-based, not data-driven at all, because people have no data on how this is landing on the people you're trying to convert. So imagine in a sales situation where you can't see that a person, you're just going in with your sales pitch, just selling, selling, but you cannot see that a person and hear what, they, what they're saying. That will be a really weird ass situation or like you know, in dating, you're hitting on somebody you know, and you can't see how it's going. It would be crazy, but that's exactly how it is on, on the internet. And so winter is solving the problem where you can see how your messaging, how your sales pitch is landing on the people you're trying to influence. And when it comes to the overall, the big picture, there's copy on your website that's just like your sales pitch. But when I think about messaging, there's a bigger, let's say, hierarchy of things here. So we start with strategic narrative. So what is going on in the world? What are we here to do? What is the problem that we are solving? So for instance, with our agency, Spiro, which is a customer experience optimization consulting company, essentially, our strategic narrative is that we live now in the retention economy, you know, like companies that have high uh, retention, high lifetime value, uh, other companies that are getting the biggest valuation, biggest VC interest, they're getting highest valuations by VCs. You can't have a company without... Uh, net revenue retention under 100% and becoming a, a unicorn, right? Like retention is everything. Yet, so in conversion optimization, traditionally the way it's seen is that the metric we care about is our conversion rate. How many people can we get in the door? Whereas if you're building a long-term sustainable business, looking at this short-term metric is not 
good enough. You know, you need to look at your the whole thing, the impact on the brand. You need to look at the, your uh, lifetime value, and of course, the retention, keeping ret- retention and churn in mind. And so, knowing that this is the world we live in, where retention is everything, and your brand is your biggest moat. Now, how do we optimize our websites? That's the story of our uh, the, the strategic narrative for for the agency. And now, from there comes positioning. And positioning means what use case are we solving for whom? What is a well-defined market that has a particular need or a use case uh, that we can uh, solve? That's positioning. You know, so we are the CRM for dental offices. You know, for instance. So knowing those things, and all you, of course, this is all informed by your competition and who, who are you up against in terms of your uh, competition, what's going on right. in the market, the whole thing. And from there on, then you formulate, let's say, three to five key messages. Why choose your company over all these other companies that are out there? And then finally, it's the copy where I write thousands of words of why choose us. So if you can't really articulate clearly you know, why somebody should choose you, you have a big problem. And I think a lot of people, the listeners, for the most part, they're in a space where they have clients, they have retainer clients, they have revenue coming in. And as you mentioned, retention, especially on retainer clients, right? Like last year, 2020, obviously threw everybody on their side a little bit in some respect, a lot of local businesses shut down for a while, right? And so agencies and freelancers alike were like, hey, now what happens? Like these steady streams of income came through, but maybe maybe it's how do you address that sort of a thing inside of your messaging? Because the thing that you said that really interests me was what is going on around us, right? So if you are an agency that helps dentists, okay, well, nobody's going to the dentist when you're in lockdown, right? Like, it's just not one of those things. Now, how do you bring that environment now into, okay, I still have to run my business? There, there are no easy answers here. So, can we maybe get more granular about, maybe I think what you're asking is maybe too broad, so I can't give a, a good uh, specific answer here. I mean, I, I, guess, I guess what I'm thinking of is, is like, as far as taking the environment that happens around us and thinking about how we convey our brand out into the world, when certain things change, whether it's the market that we're going after, maybe their wants and needs and desires, maybe even their struggles have shifted. How do we help identify those those environmental changes in a way where we're not saying, hey, we we see your flaws, let us come help fix that. Yeah, if, if you lead with a problem, like, hey, your, your SEO ranking sucked, let, let us fix it. Or, you know, your site is really slow, let us help you. What that does often is that it puts people on the defensive. So as in my career as a conversion optimization consultant, so many cases where people hire me to basically help them with their conversions. And when I say what all is bad and needs improvement, they're like, well, it work. it's working really great. You know, it's like it, the criticism makes people defensive. So a better way to, to sell is having them come to a realization that they need help. 
And you can do that then through this framing of what is happening in the, in the external world. The old strategy that used to work in this world is no longer working. You need to do something else. So what is the new narrative? So people are like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing that. I need to get on board with that, you know? So people come to that realization themselves. And if you're telling them that this change is happening in the world, you're positioning yourself as the best person to help them with this, essentially. So as an example, I might be saying that what is happening is that there's the rise of machine learning, AI, and deep learning. It's coming. Whether you like it or not, there's a massive train heading our direction, and it is here. You know, some people are going to lose the jobs and all that stuff, you know. And so what are you going to do about it? Are you going to try to bury your head in the sand, or are you going to actually take advantage of it? Because this is bringing new capacities, new capabilities to all the businesses, if you know how to use it. This technology will be here, and if you're not going to adopt it and use it, you're going to be left behind and everybody's going to run over you because you're doing stupid, stupid work that takes minutes for algorithms, right? You have humans do this work. And now you lead with the story and people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be left behind. No, no, I want to take advantage and I want to optimize. And then they're like, okay, so what, what, what should we do about it? And then you say, okay, in order to win this new reality, this is what you need to do. And we can help you do this. Now it's not about you suck, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's more of like you're saying, it's just storytelling is in there. You have to let them come to the realization of what they know, but they need to voice it, right? Exactly right. And then so that is the strategic narrative bit. And then it's you have your positioning where it's like I am servicing these type of type of companies with this particular type of problems, you know. So this is the my positioning. What is this about? And then, then we you know go into more specific messaging. And when it comes to the messaging, like a big problem I see, especially with agencies, is they're describing what they do as if they are the only ones doing it. We build WordPress websites. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Amazing. Never heard about that. You know, so yeah, no, like if you say you build WordPress websites, you're already what you're doing is like with any mature category, like WordPress website building is a, is a mature category, all these people saying that are commodity. It's fungible, easily replaceable. Well, I have another hundred companies here that say they build WordPress websites. So I, I go with the cheapest one, you know, because why pay more? So code monkeys are a dime a dozen. So in order to not be a commodity and to have a generous margin and have a reason to choose you, you need to be saying something that other people are not saying. So you either lead with innovation, which in the case of agencies is very difficult. Innovation is there. You know? So it's possible, but it's very difficult. So you might have a moat that is about a coordinate resource. So a coordinate resource is a great competitive moat for agencies, which is you have the best expert working for you, or you are the best expert at this very particular thing. Now, I often in, in the case of agencies and consulting, nobody cares about whatever you, it's called, uh, your consulting company. What people care about is you, the expert, right? So when I was at CXL, people wanted to hire me. 
They wanted me to work on their conversion optimization. They didn't care what my company was called. They didn't care about my team. They said, like, I want you, right? So it's the same thing. So cornered resource is a very effective brand strategy for repair agencies. It's, it's a mode you have. And then your messaging should also be about that. You get to work with Jason Resnick. Nobody else can do that. Or another one is then just brand in a broader sense. Your unique point of view to the world that somebody resonates with. You know, like maybe you're a B Corp and then uh, on the side you are training underprivileged teenagers to be, you know, whatever, WordPress developers and, you know, helping, doing good for the world. And you're like, these people in the underprivileged communities have no access to these resources. So I'm, I'm helping with this problem. And and whatever you know, and then and then you have a point of view about the world. What is the wrong that needs to be you know corrected, and so on. So you can go all in with some some sort of a a brand, the point of view. Some what do you stand for, and then uh, communicate that. And that is also not something that your competitors will copy lightly. If you roll out a new service, oh, we now do speed optimization or whatever. Anybody can do that. Anybody can copy that and say, oh, we also do speed optimization, right? So competing on, on features or, or your service portfolio is just not, it's not sustainable. It's, it's not possible to do that. Anything that works will be copied. Brand is hard to copy. Your reputation is impossible to copy. So I would focus on those things. Hmm. That was a realization that I had back in 2013, I guess, was... It was a, when I started to say, like, I'm a WordPress developer. <laughs> I was one yeah. of those commodities, right? And I was like, you know, I had a virtual coach, you know, virtual business mentor of mine. And he said, dude, you know what you're talking about. You can speak business. You can speak English language and then translate it into code and then give that back to people. And that's something that other people don't have. You could liaison between developers and businesses in a way that you consulting certainly works, right? So they, they have a, a whole team. And so he said, play into those strengths as WordPress is just a tool. You could do Ruby on Rails, you could do whatever, it doesn't matter. But play into those strengths, but also play into who you are, right? And so, you know, I'm blunt, I'm straightforward. I tell it like it is. I challenge people, you know, I try to question certain things that clients say to me, like, hey, why are we doing this? What What's the point? You know, is this something that's needed now or could we wait? You know, things like that. And a lot of developers don't do that. They kind of just lines of code on the screen and that's good and they ship, right? And so I hear you talking a lot about differentiation, especially in the tweets, right? And yeah, it's something I learned myself and it was a struggle to get me to the point to say, hey, I'm just going to plant my flag in this and WordPress is a tool. Yeah. Did that come easy for you to kind of say, hey, look, this is this is who I am and who I help and this is my brand? No, I mean, I think differentiation is hugely difficult, which is why 99% of companies are not any different at all. If you're a category leader, you don't care about differentiation because market penetration awareness that you exist is most important. But without differentiation, if you're not already a category leader, people don't know that you exist, then you need to be different to stand out from, from the noise. And so maybe two, three years ago, I realized that CXL, the e-learning business, is actually not that differentiated. 
It's like, what are we really competing on? Because it's business strategy. In a nutshell, is like, which game do you play and how do you win? And it's like, okay, so what do we have going for us? You know, yes, brand and me as a, as a name associated with it definitely is a thing, but it's, it's not enough. And also, we're a small business, so it's not like it's a Nike-level brand, right? It's a mini brand. And then the instructors we have for our e-learning, anybody can hire these people to be instructors. Well, then is it the length and depth of the course? Anybody can make a longer course if they want, right? It's possible. It's just not very hard to do. So is it the, the topics that we have? Well, I mean, anybody can basically make courses with the same exact, you know. So why would anybody use us? And yeah, I mean, I can rent for an hour here, like what, what are all the reasons? But these are all very subtle differences. Very subtle differences. And if you are not familiar with the category, you're just a superficial internet browser, as most people are. Then it's very hard to know why you use this over somebody else. And then I started on, on this path of, okay, so I need to understand this issue better myself before I can lead my company a more differentiated path. Because two things, aid. Differentiation is not a line of copyright. It needs to be your actual DNA, what you stand for. And B, differentiation is owned by the founder, by the CEO of the company. It's not that you say, hey, marketing people, please sprinkle some differentiation on top. We're good. It doesn't work that way. And so for us, it's been a multi-year journey. And we're, the way I'm also thinking about it is, you know, in business strategy, the concept of red ocean and blue ocean. Red ocean is hyper-competitive uh, category where there's a lot of competition and they're minimally differentiated. And so there's a downward pressure on pricing. It's cutthroat competition. Cost per acquisition is very high. Margins are low. All right. So e-learning, especially marketing training, is, is a classic red ocean. It's full of mildly differentiated offerings. I mean, anybody and their mother can have a build, a build an online course, and they do. And so I'm looking at a blue ocean over there where nobody's playing. And so it's code name Adeft. I've, I've talked about it on the internets. So we're building something new. We're building actually a new direction for us. That is it's not live yet because it's, it takes time. But what you want to avoid is you want to avoid being disrupted by the competition. You want to disrupt yourself. Creative destruction, right? Like you don't want to, uh, somebody to pull a Nokia on you where it's like 2007 and you're the leader of mobile phones and then smartphones and come in and you're nobody. And that's going to happen with most businesses if they're, if they're not reinventing what they're about. Yeah, I like that. Started to question. I think that's where a lot of people get stuck too. It's like, hey, this is working. I've been doing this for five, seven years, whatever. This is working out. It's sustainable. But actually taking a step back and question, why am I different? Why would somebody choose me? Right? I think that's, that's a wise exercise to do pretty regular basis. I like that. Exactly. And, and when you realize that the differentiation is really subtle, then basically you need to know that you, this, is a, this problem is not going to go away and it's only getting worse. And you need to take a proactive stance at fixing it and it's not a one-day thing, it's a journey. So basically, the way I would propose you, you solve it is think about what would a differentiated business look like 
what would have to be there and then you basically that will be your strategy so and strategy has a multi-year outlook you know minimum two-year perspective and so maybe maybe i need to be considered as the most best expert at this thing i'm doing okay so how do i achieve that perception okay so i need to you know do thousand YouTube videos and, you know, seven LinkedIn videos a day and write a hundred thousand blog posts. Okay, great. Now I know that's the path to a destination, but you need, you need to start with a vision and then you start building that way because it, you know, nothing happens overnight. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that for sure. And if your revenue is under $10 million a year, nobody knows you exist. You're such a small potato that changing every single thing about your business, nobody cares. It's so easy. I mean, I've done it so many times. You know, I changed what is CXL. I've changed the names from conversion Excel to CXL. I started copy testing, renamed it to Winter, changed the branding, positioning, over target market, everything. Because if you're under 10 million, it's very easy. And B companies change their names and things about them. Like, if you're a small potato, you can definitely, in fact, that is your advantage. LinkedIn learning wanted to become some other type of learning platform. It'll be very hard for them because they're so huge. Yeah, I think that the, that's why I like being small because you can pivot where the market goes. But at the same time, having the vision and the projection of what you want to be from the business perspective, long term, I think is, yeah, it's got my gears going as far as the questioning, taking stock in what it is that makes your business unique enough to the people that you serve and stand out from the crowd that you are in. I think that's super awesome. So I want to be respectful of your time here for sure. And I know you, you teased that a little bit about what the future holds, that you're working on some things, but what can you share that is up for the next six, 12 months? So on, uh, on the winter front, we are on the path to building the world's best panel company, B2B panels, which is an unsolved problem. I mean, there are companies that claim they do that, but they all suck and it's a scam. Again, this is an hour-long rant that I have here. But uh, yeah, so that is, that is the vision for the business, that something that we're building towards. So if you are wanting to do market research or anything, selling to a particular job title at some particular industry. You want to know how they think, how they feel about things, what are their needs, their problems, what are their desired gains, what are the problems that keep them up at night. We're going to solve that with Winter. And with CXL, we're going to move away from the traditional e-learning because I think traditional e-learning has too many flaws. Besides, also, it's a red ocean. And the flaws are that most people, and this is a pub public statistic, Overwhelming majority of the people who start an online course never finish it. Why? Because they get busy at work with tasks. And uh, long video courses give people, you know, EBGBs, like, where do I have the time? And then you feel guilty about yourself. And, you know, it's, it's emotional trauma. And how, how do people choose courses to begin with? Usually based on a task at hand. They need to do something. They need to accomplish something, but they're not sure what is the best way to do this very specific task. So uh, the future of CXL will be playbooks, playbooks for how to do very highly specific tasks. So it's task-based learning. Instead of learning everything about Google Analytics, it takes seven hours. 
I learn how to do this very specific thing. So that takes me maybe 10 minutes to learn and I'm already implementing in the next 10 minutes. You know, learning by doing is the best way to learn. So it's like learn and just right away ship because it's a task, it's a project you're working on right now. That's, so that's the future of CXL. Private beta launching May this year. Yeah, I, I've noticed that too. Like I had a large course even myself, I was like, when I reevaluated after about a year, I was like, this is, there's too much. It's too much. Nobody's going to f- complete all of this. And I've even just taken stock in my own learning. Just-in-time learning for me has is, is always worked, right? Like, like you're saying, instead of learning everything I need to know about Google Analytics, how do I just set up an event-based goal? Like, that's what I'm looking for, right? Like, exactly. So. Awesome. I'll certainly be keep an eye out for that. Um, and we'll put obviously all of the, these links in the show notes too. But where can people reach out and uh, say thanks? Well, I am very active on social, Twitter and LinkedIn. So connect with me there, follow my things. Uh, some controversial, juicy stuff coming up. <laughs> awesome. And if you want to watch somebody do a workout during a Zoom meeting, Pep on Twitter does that. <laughs> so That's if you right. have Zoom fatigue, there, he gives a new definition to Zoom fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Pep, for spending some time with us today. Thank you, Jason. And for everyone listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. <laughs>